0: I think without question high intensity resistance exercise can be applied in an interval training manner especially if you keep recovery durations short and you can see some aerobic uh, improvement. You know there's research to show that uh, interval style resistance training can improve cardiospiratory fitness, can boost some mitochondrial enzymes, can improve other health related indices. So I think high intensity resistance training applied in an interval based manner uh, can sort of provide uh, m- multiple benefits. You can get a cardiovascular boost and obviously get muscle strengthening, some hypertrophy benefits as well.
1: Inform Nation, welcome to Episode 27 of the Inform Fitness Podcast. I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network and a client of Inform Fitness. We'll be joined by Adam Zickerman, Mike Rogers, and Sheila Melody in just a minute. The title of this episode is Life is an Interval Training Workout. And that's a direct quote from the man who you heard from at the top of the show, Dr. Martin Gabala, the author of the book, The One Minute Workout Science Shows a Way to Get Fit, Smarter, Faster, Shorter. Martin Gabala, who's a PhD, is also a professor and chair of the Kinesiology Department at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. His research on the physiological and health benefits of high-intensity interval training has attracted immense scientific attention and worldwide media coverage. Dr. Gabala has published more than 100 peer-reviewed articles, the results of which have been featured by outlets including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, CNN, NBC Nightly News, and now the Inform Fitness Podcast, 20 Minutes with New York Times bestselling author, Adam Zickerman, and friends. Now, in this episode, we are going to give you a double dose at no extra charge. This show will run about 40 minutes due to the volume of valuable content recorded as Dr. Martin Gabbala and Adam Zickerman compare and contrast the high-intensity interval training, as Dr. Gabala explains in his book, with the high-intensity strength training performed at all 7 informed fitness locations across the U.S. So, for those of you who want to get fit smarter, faster and shorter, here's Dr. Gabala and Adam Zickerman with
2: Life is an Interval Training Workout. Dr. Gabala, you have this book with an eye-raising title called The One-Minute Workout. And the argument, if I may, is this, that the benefits, what you're saying is the benefits we gain from the traditional two and a half hours of recommended a week exercise, a moderately intense exercise, also known as steady state exercise can also be attained with just one minute of extremely intense exercise. Now, for many, this sounds too good to be true. And I will allow you to explain how these exercise benefits can be attained in just one minute. But before you do that, maybe we should start with what are the benefits of exercise that we're looking for?
0: Yeah, we're mainly interested in, I guess, three primary outcomes. One being cardiospiratory fitness. So, of course, that's the cardio health that everyone normally thinks about, the ability of the heart, lungs, blood vessels to deliver oxygen uh, to muscle. We know that's a really important measure for athletes, but it's equally important for health. Uh, We also look at skeletal muscle health. So we'll take biopsies and look at the capacity of muscle to use the oxygen to produce energy. And so we like to think of that as a measure of muscle health. And we'll also measure (laughs) health-related parameters like insulin sensitivity as well as things like blood pressure. So We're looking at a range of physiological markers that translate into improved health outcomes, and we know that any type of exercise is uh, beneficial uh, for all of those parameters. We're, of course, interested in time-efficient versions to produce those benefits.
2: Exactly. So speaking of those time-efficient ways, uh, you have termed it high-intensity interval training.
0: So where the title of the book comes from is from work in our lab where we've had people do as little as three 20-second hard bursts of exercise. So that's the quote-unquote one-minute workout. Now, typically, that's set within a time frame of about 10 minutes by time you have a little bit of warm-up, some cool-down, some recovery in between. But as you alluded to in your intro, we've shown that that type of training program, so one minute of workout uh, done three times a week, can confer at least over several months many of the benefits that we associate with the more traditional approach to fitness. Uh, and so in our recent study where we directly compared that type of protocol to the 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity training, the improvement in cardiorespiratory fitness was the same over three months of training. The improvement in markers of muscle health was the same and the improvement of insulin sensitivity uh, was the same as well. So in, a, in our lab, when we've made these head to head comparisons We have some pretty compelling evidence, I think, that at least over a couple of months, you can reap the benefits that we associate with the more traditional approach with these short, intense workouts.
2: Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about these intense workouts. Uh, And I'd like you, if you will, uh, take us back to the turn of the century in 2004 uh, when you were brainstorming with your uh, grad students. And uh, can you please tell us about that first experiment? And uh, you know what did those muscle biopsies show? And since your first study, uh, as a follow-up, uh, have the results been repeated in similar studies and with other independent labs as well?
0: Yeah. So I guess our work at the turn of. This century was influenced <laughs> by work from uh, 100 years prior, uh, and, and, and part of my interest in this topic was I, I teach a course on the integrative physiology of human performance, and my students are always interested in the training regimes of elite athletes, and they would wonder why do these elite endurance athletes, world champions, Olympic distance medal winners, uh, middle distance winners, uh, you know, train using these short, hard sprints? So in short, how can short, hard sprints confer endurance capacity? Uh, and so that really influenced our thinking, and we wanted to ask the question: Well, how quickly can you get these benefits, and how low can you go? And we've subsequently gone lower. But at the time, uh, there's a very common test in exercise physiology known as the Wingate test. I'm sure you're familiar with it, which are a, a test involves 30 seconds of all-out exercise on a cycle ergometer. And we knew that Wingate training was uh, effective from some other studies, but we said, okay, let's have people do just six training sessions over a period of two weeks. And so we argued back and forth about the number of wind gates and how long, uh, we would have the training program last, but we settled on this very simple design, a two week study with six sessions of interval training over the two weeks. And our primary outcomes were endurance capacity. So basically how long subjects could ride a bike until they fatigued and muscle biopsies to look at those measures of, of muscle health. And lo and behold, after just two weeks of training, we found a doubling of endurance capacity in these recreationally trained students. And so it was a very dramatic illustration of the potency of these short, hard workouts to confer endurance-like benefits. And since then, we've continued to push the envelope, I guess, in terms of how low can you go. And our work has extended out to less healthy individuals. So we've done work on people with type 2 diabetes and, of course, have been very pleased to see other laboratories around the world uh, replicating and extending these findings uh, as well.
2: Yes, we're going to get to that, what you're referring to now with the uh, Katarina Meyer's work, for example, right, that you mentioned in later chapters. What I want to point out right now, what you just said, is that you're seeing these incredible improvements and you said that study lasted two weeks. That is <laughs> mind-blowing, right? I mean, two weeks to have those changes occur? So first of all, I want to point out, number one, that's mind-blowing. Secondly, have you done other studies where you would do it for longer than two weeks and have those changes uh, gotten better even?
0: Yeah. So our longest studies have gone out to a couple of months. uh, And so I think you continue to see improvements, but the rate of improvement starts to decline. And so in some ways, it's a microcosm of what happens with any training program. You know, The longer you do it, there's points of diminishing returns. And of course, that can be very frustrating to people and it leads to periodization and all of these techniques that we use. But in short, you get a lot of benefit early on. So there's a tremendous boost to fitness early on. And like I say, a point of diminishing returns after that. So it's not a, a continuous uh, straight line. I think that's one of the benefits of interval training is you can get a boost in fitness very, very quickly. And in some ways that helps with lots of other sports, um, Sports and events that you might want to, to take on after that. But you get this rapid boost uh, in a very short period of time.
2: Great. All right. So now let's get to uh, who we mentioned, a little, uh, who I just mentioned a little bit earlier, this is Katharina Myers, the German cardiovascular physio- uh, physiologist who did some important research trying to answer this question. What sort of exercise can substantially slow and possibly even reverse the age-related loss of our cardiovascular function?
0: So Katerina Meyer, uh, and and actually the history there is fascinating because some of her training dates back to other classic German uh, researchers. The Germans have had an interest in this since at least uh, the late 1950s. Uh, Katerina Meyer's work in the late 80s and early 90s, what was particularly unique about her work is she was applying interval training to patients with cardiovascular disease. So in a cardiac rehabilitation setting, these individuals who'd had a heart attack, Uh, And what was the best way to train these individuals to improve their function, improve their heart capacity? And so it was quite revolutionary at the time because, you know, go back 30 or 40 years, if individuals had a a heart attack, they were basically told to to take it easy, right? You know, lie on the couch, don't challenge your system Mm -hmm. because you were worried about subsequent adverse events. And so Meyer's work, she had cardiac patients exercise at about 90% of their maximal heart rate typically for one minute at a time, with a minute of recovery, and she showed very profound improvements uh, in in their health outcomes and in cardiovascular parameters. So she was a real pioneer, I think, in applying interval training to uh, diseased populations, and in particular, individuals who have cardiovascular disease, and since then, her work has expanded. In Norway, for example, there are another large research center that's doing a lot of this work, it's quite common to incorporate interval training in cardiac rehabilitation setting now
2: yes, well, it's breaking major paradigms there you know to 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 think that you could apply high intensity exercise to somebody who just had a heart attack it's 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 fantastic now I'm familiar with dr. Meyer's work actually uh, one of her papers in particular was this paper that she published in nineteen ninety seven uh, this paper was showing that of three groups, only the group that performed very intense exercise at 80% of their max were able to improve their cardiovascular function. So uh, she had another group at 60% of their max and another group, the control group, didn't do anything and neither one of them showed the kind of improvements. The kind of improvements I'm talking about is, is increased venous return, uh, decrease in systemic vascular resistance, uh, an increase in cardiac index and uh, an increase in stroke volume. Now, these are... Uh, consistent with her other research that you were talking about because you did a lot of these and what struck me about this particular one is that these cardiovascular improvements in function were done on a leg press. They weren't done on a a bicycle. They were done on a leg press. So my question is, uh, do you think high-intensity resistance training can also be used to change our physiology? that it can improve our endurance, our VO2 max and and citrate synthase, for example, if you were to do a muscle biopsy, the same way as, let's say, a bicycle or a treadmill?
0: Um, I don't think you get the same effects, but definitely, you know, it's going to depend on the protocol there. I think without question, high intensity resistance exercise can be applied in an interval training manner, especially if you keep recovery durations short, and you can see some aerobic uh, improvement. You know, there's research to show that, Uh, Interval-style resistance training can improve cardiorespiratory fitness, can boost some mitochondrial enzymes, can improve other health-related indices, uh, as you alluded to. Uh, My personal opinion is that a varied approach to fitness is always going to be best, and I don't think you're going to see the same cardiovascular fitness improvement with interval-based cycling as you might see with high-intensity resistance exercise. But, of course... The gains in strength or hypertrophy that you might see with the bike protocol are going to be markedly lower as well. And so I think high intensity resistance training applied in an interval based manner uh, can sort of provide uh, multiple benefits. You can get a cardiovascular boost and obviously get muscle strengthening, some hypertrophy benefits as well.
2: So you think a strength training, a high intensity strength training protocol, is really a separate and distinct program.
0: Yeah, I, I, I do. I think, re, you know, the resistance exercise element uh, is, is, is different there. Um, and so the stimulus for adaptation is not going to be exactly the same.
2: Has that been tested? Have you compared, let's say, uh, a Wingate type of uh, protocol with, let's say, somebody doing a high-intensity strength training program where you're doing one set to failure with major compound movements where you're going from machine to machine where the heart rate stays elevated, and each set is going to at least 20 seconds of what you would probably consider an interval, like those last the 20 seconds sprint, those last 20 seconds on a leg press, for example, uh, are pretty darn intense as well. Do you think it would be worthy of comparing those two types of protocols and see if you get these same uh, benefits and you know and, uh improvements in citrate synthase that way, VO2 max, etc.
0: Yeah, I think without question it would be. Of course, we can come up with all of these comparisons that we would like, and there's only so many ways you can do it in in the laboratory. Um, when you do a Wingate test, for example, we know there's no stimulation of growth pathways. So if we look at mTOR signaling and some of mm-hmm. these uh, pathways that we know lead to skeletal muscle hypertrophy, uh, even though a Wingate test is perceived as very demanding, right. the relative uh, resistance on the leg or the relative stress on, on the leg is quite low as compared to heavy resistance exercise. And so the, you know, with most forms of cardio-based high-intensity interval training, you're not seeing um, growth of muscle fibers right. because the, the stimulus is just not sufficient to provide the hypertrophy uh, stimulus. Now, when yeah. you do high-intensity resistance training, as you alluded to, especially with short recovery periods, you maintain the heart rate so it's elevated. You can see uh, improvements yeah. in cardiorespiratory fitness in addition to... To the strengthening and hypertrophy elements as well.
2: I'm wondering, knowing what we know at this point, for somebody who is pressed for time and doesn't have the time to put the recommend 150 minutes a week into it, what do you think would be perfect? Do you think maybe two interval training workouts a week with some high intensity strength training? Like, What are you doing? What do you recommend to a relative of yours that just wants to get it all and what do I need to do?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um obviously open-ended question and it depends a lot in terms of the specific goals of, of the individual, but I'll, I'll sort of take the question at not at an
2: elite feet. athlete. You know, you're not, yeah, yeah. So I know you work with a lot of elite athletes. We also have the stuff that Myers worked, you know, the population of Myers works with. Yeah. All Can, right. You're, you're the typical person that's going to, you're, you're you know, middle-aged professional, person, professional, you know, busy
3: professional who just wants to be in shape and have the markers that you were talking about before.
2: Yeah. And if they
0: want, um, the time efficiency aspect, uh, you know, you, you, alluded earlier, you know, what, what do I do? So I'm someone who trains, yeah. you know, typically every day, rarely are my workouts more than 30 minutes. And I typically go back and forth between cardio style based interval training. My go-to exercise is a bike because I can't run anymore because of, uh, osteoarthritis in, in my knee. So typically three days a week, I'm doing cardio cycling, uh, as the weather starts to get nicer, it's outside. But typically in long Canadian winters, it's down in my basement, right? 20, 25 minutes of interval-based work for primary cardiovascular con- conditioning. The other days are largely bodyweight-style interval uh, training. I sort of have the classic garage gym setup in my basement. I got a power <laughs> wow. rack. You know, school, I, I can do large compound movements to failure, uh, push-ups, mm-hmm. pull-ups. And so that's typically the other three days of the week. Uh, often a rest day per per week, or otherwise I'll play some ice hockey as well. So you know that's wow. something that works really well uh, for 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 me. And so I think for individuals, I would recommend that style of of approach. You know, if you're someone that can mentally tolerate the uh, demanding nature of intervals, because let's be you know realistic here, there's no free lunch at the end of the day. But if you want that time efficiency, high quality workout, then I would recommend sort of that alternating pattern of some sort of cardio style interval training with some sort of whole body resistance style uh, training. If you're really pressed for time and you have maybe three sessions a week, then, you know, y- using all interval based, uh, maybe two resistance sessions and one cardio or, or, or vice versa. Obviously, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, work that you advocate is showing tremendous benefits with even one session a week. Uh, and, and maybe even two sessions a week in terms of that quality of of, of style training.
2: Yeah, the search continues, you know, because like, uh, like you said, it depends on a lot of things and goals and, and body types and genetics and response to exercise and, and even somebody's neurological efficiency. Uh, so so I, I get that. And, and the question always is when we work with thousands of individuals uh, on a monthly basis, you know, do you mix in intervals with their strength training, Uh, how much of it, uh, balancing all this uh, with their schedules, with their lifestyle, with their, are they stressed out max type A people, do they get enough sleep, you know, uh, so, so that's why it's so valuable to talk to you, you're on the cutting edge of doing a lot of this stuff and, and trying to incorporate research into somebody's everyday life is, is the art and trick to all this, I think, until we keep learning more and more.
0: No, absolutely, and you know the, the sometimes the most fundamental question science still doesn't have the best answers to, <laughs> which is is quite ironic. But you're right. Like you know how the book was written really as an effort to translate the science around time efficient exercise. As you well know, the number one cited barrier for why people don't exercise is lack of time. Nothing wrong with the public health guidelines based on really good science, but. 80% of us aren't listening and the number one barrier is time. And so if we can find time-efficient options yep. so that people can implement this style yep. of training in their everyday life, we think that's a good thing. Let The more menu choices, the better. The more exercise options, the better because then ideally people can find something that works for them and there's no one-size-fits-all approach.
2: And that and, brings me exactly to the next thing I wanted to talk about because it's this idea of – we're being told we need 150 minutes. That's two and a half hours a week to work out. And uh, you make a very interesting, very interesting point in your chapter five of the one minute workout. Uh, you say, despite knowing that exercise has all these near magical qualities, you say, uh, approximately 80% of the people from America, Canada, and the United Kingdom don't get the recommended 150 minutes that they need. And you say that's a problem. And you point out something very interesting. I didn't know this. This is really cool. You point out that our lifespan has jumped ahead of our health span. And I'd love for you to uh, tell us what the difference is between lifespan and health span, and what that means.
3: Yeah, sure. So
0: lifespan is is just that—how long you're going to live. But health span encompasses how I, I call it how close to the ceiling you can work. So basically. Um, you you want to live a long life, but ideally you want a long healthy life as well. And so you can think of it as functional capacity uh, in addition to longevity. You know, and I think most of us you want to live as long as you can. And sort of as my grandma would say, it you, you sort of fall off the perch right at the end, right? But yeah, you,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> a high standard of living, a high um, uh, quality of living, yeah. so you can do all the things that you like as long as as possible. And so. Exercise, I think, is a tremendous way to to do that. And, you know, you you bring up a good point is as we age, perhaps there's a little shift there. You know, obviously, strength is important and cardiorespiratory fitness is important. But especially as we start to get older, functional strength is is really important. You know, and if you look at what's going to keep people out of uh, assisted living, it's basically, can you squat down and go to the toilet and get up from that, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs>
3: it's getting off the floor. Exactly. Absolutely.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And, and so functional strength training to maintain lower body strength, that's what we're talking about in, in terms of health span. You may live be living a long time, but if you need all this assistance in order to get by, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a high standard or quality of, 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 of living. And so that's really what we're talking about here, improving so sp- both of yeah. those.
2: So think about this. Despite knowing how important it is to put those 150 minutes in because you're going to have this life of misery and your, mm. misery and your health span is going to be horrible, all right? people don't do it. And you quote, you quote this guy Alan Batterham from Teesside University uh, in, in the United Kingdom who says that we have, and I'm quoting him, who, actually quoting you quoting him, <laughs> that, we have, that we have this perverse relationship with exercise. All right, so here we are. We know what we have to do, but we don't. And, and, and this is where high-intensity training is so cool because. So explain, well, first of all, what what? Why do we have this perverse relationship with exercise? Is it is it supposed? Yeah.
0: you know, obviously uh, there there's uh, there's a multifaceted answer. I think Alan made the observation that un, you know we 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 have hunger pains to get us to eat, right? So there's that innate biological uh, drive for for reproduction. Uh, you know, there's a sex drive, but there's not necessarily this innate biological drive to be physically active. And that was the perversity that Alan was making the point, even though it's so good for us. I I think it's, you know, obviously you can take the evolutionary perspective. And for the vast majority of human civilization, we had to be physically active to survive, right? We had to either sprint and hunt down an animal and kill it and eat it, or you had to spend long time gathering food. Uh, But you know, especially over the last hundred years or so, we've done a great job of engineering physical activity out of our lives through the way we design cities. And, you know, so now we have to basically make time to be doing this activity that is so good for us. And again, ironically, we seemingly don't have time to do it. Uh clearly an excuse for a lot of people. You just look at time spent on social media, but a yeah. lot of us lead very busy time press lives. And so we're looking for more efficient options to be able to fit all of that other stuff into our day. And I think this is where intervals can play a really big role.
2: So keeping this exercise avoidance issue in mind, uh, what has your friend an exercise f- psychologist, Mary, what's her, how did she pronounce her last time? Jung? Jung. Jung and uh, I'm assuming there's no relation to the psychiatrist Carl Jung <laughs> uh, and uh, they she, she discover what what did she discover and what is her advice because you talk about she has these five tips for starting an exercise program
0: Sure you know so if you and I, I'm not a psychologist you know what I tried to do in the book of course was uh, consult with some other uh, experts and there's a real rift right now as we make the point in the book around the potential, application of high intensity interval training for public health. There's sort of two schools of thought, right? And you would sort of, the traditional school of thought would be people aren't going to do this because if exercise is intense, they find it uncomfortable, they're unlikely to do it or stick with it. But there's a whole new school of thought and Mary epitomizes this. Who are saying, well, wait a minute, you know, continuous vigorous exercise is very different from vigorous exercise where we give people breaks and especially if they don't have to do very much of it. And so Mary is really interested in uh, issues of motivation, mood, adherence, what keeps people um, uh, to, to stick with healthy behaviors. And her research is showing that a large number of people actually rate the enjoyment of interval exercise higher. And, and mm. they would prefer this type of training and they're more than willing to make that trade off between volume and intensity. So if they have to do less total work, they're more than willing to work hard for short periods of, of time. And you know, we get in this habit, Mary makes the point, if people can't do 30 or 45 minutes of continuous exercise, they consider themselves a failure. They might beat themselves up a little bit. And she's like, wait a minute. Even if you can do a few minutes of exercise, take a break, do it again, let's celebrate that. Surround mm-hmm. yourself up, view it as, hey, I'm an interval trainer. I'm doing this type of training that elite athletes have
3: used for a long time. And, and it's, it's sort
0: of turning a negative <laughs> yeah, for, negative for and it's a great message.
3: Yeah, for us, failure is the only option. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> <right>?
2: <laughs> but, you know, when I was reading, when you were talking about this in your book and, and talking about her work, I was like, I was screaming amen because I've been, you know, for 20 years that I'm in a high intensity business myself, I'm seeing the same thing. So many people would much rather, much rather do this in a much briefer time, get it over with than to drag it out all week long. I mean, I remember when I told my mom, 20 years ago, that I was going to do this for a living. And, and she knew that I was kind of a little nutty when it came to high-intensity work. And she thought, she says, you know, Adam, people are not going to work out that hard. You're nuts. I mean, how many people... I, I would never work out the way you work out. Now, granted, I was doing crazy, like, CrossFit-type stuff, high-force, dangerous stuff. You know, I, I've kind of created a more gentler, kindler way of doing that. But nonetheless, it was really intense, but much shorter. And I said, Mom... I don't know. I think if somebody thinks they're, number one, going to be safe, right, and getting it over with, even though it's more intense, I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do it. And I said, wish me luck because I'm going for it, you know. And, uh, and by the way, I'm moving back into the house because I have no money. Uh, anyway, I moved out a year later. Uh, but, but I was so – so when I was reading. I didn't, know, I didn't know about Mary Young's work. And when I was reading in your chapter, I was like, see, Mom – I told you, Mom. I'm with this proof now.
0: <laughs> in some ways, science plays catch up a little bit. You know, you yeah. allude the fact that you've been doing it for for 20 years, and and so people are seeing this in real life, right? And 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 uh, uh, again, the book was really just a, an effort to say, okay, here, there's some gaps in the science, but here's science to hopefully validate what a, a, you know a number of individuals are. Are, are, already, are already doing, um, but they can point to this and say, see, it is backed up by, by science, right? And so it was really an effort to translate that science into a message that hopefully uh, people uh, can find uh, in an accessible read and, and hopefully in a compelling manner as well.
2: So without getting into every single workout that you describe because you get into a whole bunch of variations maybe you can just give us two typical ones that you recommend or uh, for somebody who really hasn't ever done uh, intervals before and how would you get them started?
0: Yeah so you know a- as crazy as it sounds there's a workout that we have called the beginner which is <laughs> just that and-, and so if we have people who are completely new to interval training we'll just say you know what just get out of your comfort zone you know don't try to go to zero to hundred overnight but just, push the pace a little bit and and back off. And it's based on research showing that even interval walking is better for people at improving their blood sugar, improving their fitness, improving their body composition uh, as compared to steady state walking. So that's about as simple as it gets interval based walking, but it can be really effective. Uh, You know, one of my favorites is, is the 10 by one, which is workouts based on Katerina Meyer's work, you know, so it's 20 minutes start to finish, not, Super time efficient, but it's not a 45-minute jog either. And I like that workout. So this workout involves 10 one-minute efforts at about 85 or 90% of your maximal heart rate. So you're pushing it pretty good, but you're not going all out. And that workout has been applied to cardiovascular patients, diabetics, highly trained athletes as well. And so it's the type of workout that can be scaled seemingly to almost any starting level of fitness. Uh, and it's also then I think the type of workout that can be scaled to other approaches as well. So if you want to you know, bring in uh, resistance type exercise, it, it's a little more suited to that type of, of protocol as well. And then, of course, I, I love the one-minute workout just because it's so effective and so efficient. We've had people do the one-minute workout on stairs now, just three 20-second bursts of stair climbing again, you can do it anywhere in your apartment, in your office complex, showing that you get a big boost in fitness with that type of workout, uh, as well. And, and so those lower volume workouts, I think probably fit, uh, you know, they're in your wheelhouse, I'm sure. And fit and really resonate with some of the stuff that, uh, that you've been applying for a, for a long time now.
2: Yes. And, uh, I'm, I'm so glad that your research has been kind of, uh, you know, making me realize that my life decision 20 years ago wasn't so – my instincts weren't so off. <laughs> so yeah, you thank know, you so and, much.
0: <laughs> to, you know, go back to this idea just that, you know, the public health guidelines, only 20% are, are, are listening. For those folks who say people won't do this, I would point, you know, look at the ACSM worldwide fitness trends for the last couple of years – interval training and bodyweight style training on the top two or three many years running now. So I think there is a lot of interest in, in this type of training, if only to provide people with more options, number one, and on those days when they are time pressed and might otherwise blow off their workout. No, even if you got 15 minutes, you can get in a quality training session.
3: Yeah, there's, a, there's been a you know we we everybody sees the trends, the New York Times, you know with the seven minute workouts, the boot camps. I mean, and, and we, you can see all the chatter. Fitting room is one of the things they have in New York City. I don't know if it's beyond New York City, but um, yeah, we it's we what we are trying to just present is a safe option for creating that exact same stimulus in the same time.
2: You know? Especially when the safety is around weight training, right? So the, all the weight training injuries. So it becomes even more important when you when you have weights attached to your body to to make to make that intensity safer.
0: Absolutely, I, I, and you're 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 spot on there. I think it's maybe a little bit easier for some people to apply these cardio style workouts on, on their own, but I mean, getting qualified instruction from people that know what who they're you know know what they're doing. Is really really important, especially when it comes to the resistive based stuff.
2: You you end your your book uh, with a nutrition chapter, and um, I don't know weight loss, right? So I, I haven't I've never really put too much credence in exercise for weight loss. It's it's generally a uh, uh, a diet thing, but there's definitely a a synergy, if you will, uh, a, a system, an approach. If, if weight loss is part of your goal, and uh, you know you know, I always joke around, and, and only half joking around because there is truth to this, that a lot of people that do these high intensity workouts and workout in general, you know, they always say that, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about my cardiorespiratory health. Uh, but you know, if I told them that it doesn't help you cardiorespiratory health, or it doesn't actually, if I told them it doesn't help them lose weight, they just wouldn't do it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, they say they they care about their heart, but really if if they found out that they're not going to lose any weight doing this, they walk out the door. Yeah. So let's face it, we all care about losing weight. And uh what is the contribution of high intensity high intensity interval training to to weight loss and is there a kind of one two punch uh with high intensity interval training and and diet? I'm sorry for, if if the uh sirens of New York City are just, are overpowering me.
0: No, it's it's fine and uh, I agree with you. You know, whether it's 90-10, whether it's 80-20, clearly the energy inside of the equation is much more important. Controlling body size, body composition through diet is is the primary driver there. Um, Exercise can play a role with uh, weight loss maintenance. I think over time, high-intensity interval training, just like it's a time-efficient way to boost fitness, it's a time-efficient way to burn calories. Uh, But the primary driver is still going to be nutrition. And so, you know, we've shown in our lab that a 20-minute session of intervals can result in the same calorie burn as a 50 50 0 minute of continuous exercise. So again, if you're looking for time-efficient ways to burn calories, intervals can be a good strategy there. Personal trainers talk about the afterburn effect, this idea of a heightened rate of metabolism and recovery. It's often overstated, but it's real. We've measured it and demonstrated it in the lab. But again, it's—they're they're, they're small, so— uh, you know as you well know the key controlling variable there is the nutrition side and you use the exercise side to help maintain that over time uh and it's it's mainly important about cardiorespiratory fitness but you're right people are still interested in how they look in the mirror absolutely all of us are right
2: right <laughs> and uh i'm sorry it's not going to be in the exercise camp you know the, the, you know exercise does a lot for us, but, you know, we put too many attributes on exercise's shoulders, if you will, you know, let's, let's leave that one off, please. All right. It does enough. All right. You don't have to ask it also to, you know, help you lose 30 pounds.
0: <laughs> no, you're, you're right. And, you know, people think it's the exercise to lose weight and that's what confers all the fitness benefits. You know, we like to just remind them, no, there's that straight line between exercise and fitness, regardless of the number on the scale. And if you want to attack that number on the scale, you got to make changes on the, uh, on the diet side.
2: So I, I, I appreciate all your time and I've been monopolizing, uh, the whole conversation. I'm just curious, uh, if, if Tim or Sheila or Mike had any other questions or comments they'd like to make, uh, before we wrap this up. Sure. If you don't mind, Dr.
1: Gabala, one of the questions that I had was for somebody middle-aged to pick up this, this high intensity interval training hit, uh, what are some of the risks involved for somebody that, that, It says, look, I haven't worked out in years. I want to get started. You you mentioned earlier a, a beginner program, but what are some of the risks that we need to be looking out for?
0: Yeah, so first one is our standard advice always is if you're thinking about starting or changing your exercise routine, you want to check with your physician, right? And so we're doing a study right now with interval training in people with type 2 diabetes. And most of these individuals are 50, 60 years old. Many of them are overweight. And so the first thing is, they go through a full exercise stress test cardiac screen. Now, that's obviously in a, in a research setting, but I think checking with your doctor is always good advice uh, at the individual level because that's going to potentially uh, catch something or maybe there's an underlying reason that you might not be cleared to engage in vigorous exercise. So let's get that out of the way. That being said, interval training has been applied broadly in many different ways to all of these people that we were talking about, cardiovascular disease, type two diabetes, metabolic syndrome, elderly individuals. And so I think there's a type of program interval training that's suitable for just about anyone. I go back to my earlier comments. You want to start out easier. And so don't go from, being on the couch to the one-minute workout, sprinting <laughs> upstairs as hard as you can, progress to that beginner workout, or maybe the ten by one, or some of these other workouts that we start in the book. Again, it sounds like common sense, it and it is. You know, start out slow, build, progress uh, from there. So the the risks, you know, exercise carries uh, a transient risk. L- like, let's be realistic about that. And so when you're engaged in exercise your risk of having a cardiac event is slightly higher, but the other 23 and a half hours of the day when you're not exercising, your risk is markedly lower. Mm -hmm. And, And so if the choice is even a single weekly bout of high intensity exercise or nothing, you're much better off doing the exercise. You know, Here in Canada, you read the high profile reports of the ice hockey player skates on a Friday night in a beer league with his buddies and occasionally, there's these one-off tragic events where someone has a heart attack and dies on the ice. Very tragic for this individual, but, and people get scared of exercise. And it's like, no, no. At the big picture level, if you look at the epidemiological studies, they will tell you that single weekly bout of exercise is protective in terms of reducing your, your risk of, of, of dying. But again, at the individual level, you want to make sure you're properly screened and, and, and cleared uh, to, to begin with. If your choice is remaining sedentary or doing HIIT, do HIIT. If, if you're an older individual with some risk factors who are not who's not time-pressed, then maybe consider the moderate approach, but that message doesn't resonate with, uh, with a lot of individuals. And so I think as an individual, get checked by your physician, but people don't need to be afraid of interval training. It comes in lots of different flavors, and there's a flavor to my mind that's suitable for just about anyone.
3: Right. Is, are there any known cardiac conditions where you have to be concerned about it that we know about?
0: I'm not a cardiologist, but I mean certainly some uh, ischemias, unstable anginas, things like this where those are really high-risk individuals that need to be carefully uh, uh, monitored. Uh, but you know, I'd point to the fact that there's a lot of cardiac rehabilitation programs now that are incorporating interval exercise and resistance exercise on, on a regular basis.
3: Where you spoke before about how like you get a new boost on uh, you know like like if you're doing intervals for the first time and you get a boost and after after a while, it kind of you know it goes up and then there's some diminishing returns after a while. is have your have your uh, with your studies, with your experiments there, if you vary the the stimulus, like vary this like say you do the beginner for a while and then you find that you plateau and then I mean do you have you shown that you just do a different? Interval workout and a new boost will happen? You know, I I think a
0: varied approach is always going to be best. I think there we take some clues from the athletes again, right? Periodized training over the course of a season really is just about changing up workouts, hitting the body in different ways. And it's just a common sense strategy that I think even just average recreationally active people can incorporate. So, yeah, stick with a program for a bit of time and then vary it up. Or if you want, change the interval workouts every week. But the body thrives on variety. After a while, anyone's going to get stale doing the same thing. And so that's why I think that varied approach to fitness is, is always going to be best. What I have a question about is, are there any apps that you know of? Or do you have an app? Because I love apps like people, <laughs> you know, to you go outside and you've got your iPhone and your headphones. And is there an app to do these different types of uh, interval, you know, training? Hey. There are, and there's a there's a ton of them. So personally, I don't use a specific one. But uh, e- even recently, I've gotten this question on Twitter. And so I've answered it a, a number of times and just pointed to a few sites that have, you know, the top 10 best interval training apps. Uh, and, and so I think you can find a lot of them out there. And it, it makes it easy, right? You sort of shut your brain off and you just go when it says to go and you t- back off when it says to stop there's lots of options out there
1: how about rest and recovery dr gambala here at inform fitness you know we go and work out once a week we work out hard for 20 to 30 minutes and then we take that week off to recover and prepare for our next workout with this interval training do you have any recommended uh, rest and recovery periods
0: yeah i think it comes back to the intensity of the interval right and so the more intense Uh, nature of the training, the longer the recovery period uh, needs to be. Depends a little bit, are you talking about training for performance, training for health? So there's all those variables. But I think as a general rule of thumb, the more intense the interval, the longer the period of recovery that you're going to need. And the more intense the interval training session, the longer the recovery days uh, in between uh, you might need. But again, it's really individual then in terms of what you're specifically Uh, looking for, especially if it's just general health or it's performance.
1: So if somebody isn't near an informed fitness or decides to do this on their own somewhere else, perhaps they can just listen to their body if they don't (laughs) have a trainer. (laughs)
0: Again, lots of common sense stuff, but it's common sense for a reason. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, that's a great way we can uh, wrap it up, I think. That, that says it all right there. <laughs> this whole workout makes sense. It just makes sense, right? This whole idea that it's it's the intensity over uh, duration. duration. You know, then,
0: the other uh, – moniker we've come up with is you know life is an interval training workout <laughs> there's That's very you know, we don't just sort of plod through life like this That's right, right? like you gotta valleys, jump up the stairs yeah. you, love it. Your, you, you run to catch the subway or whatever and so i think this alternating pattern alternating energy demands interval training rewards that and and so i it think it's a with life workout as well
2: Yes, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this talk, and uh, I appreciate your work so much. Uh, don't retire anytime soon, please. Keep going. Uh, There's still a lot to find out, and uh, I hope we can stay in touch.
0: Yeah, pleasure to speak with all of you. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show, and uh, and the great insightful questions. Thanks for this opportunity.
1: Our thanks again to Dr. Martin Gabala for his time with us here on the Inform Fitness Podcast. Make sure you check out the show notes for links to Amazon and Audible to pick up Dr. Gabbala's book, The One-Minute Workout, Science Shows a Way to Get Fit, Smarter, Faster, Shorter. We'll also have a link to Adam's book, Power of Ten, The Once-A-Week Slow-Motion Fitness Revolution. Included in Adam's book are several exercises that support this protocol that you can actually perform on your own If you are not currently near one of our seven InForm Fitness locations across the U.S. To find out if you are lucky enough to be near an InForm Fitness location, click on over to InFormFitness.com. In the next couple of weeks, we are excited to welcome longtime InForm Fitness client and author Gretchen Rubin to the show. Gretchen will be discussing by how regularly participating in an exercise regime like high intensity strength training can actually contribute to your overall happiness. You see, Gretchen is a happiness expert and has authored several books and has sold more than 2 million copies in 30 different languages. She even has a very popular and successful podcast of her own titled Happier with Gretchen Rubin. So give it a listen and even subscribe to her podcast so you can become more familiar with Gretchen before she joins us here on the Informed Fitness Podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. And for Sheila Melody, Mike Rogers, and Adam Zickerman of Informed Fitness, I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network.